Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Worship through loving and serving. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4. If you want to take your Bibles, welcome. I'm glad that you're here with me as we look at worship through loving and serving. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Those are the words of Jesus. Let me read that again. This is not found in 1 Peter. This is the words of Jesus. One of the last statements he gave was, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So warned John the Apostle near the end of his life, reflecting on the words of Christ. John the Apostle had personally experienced the brutal torture and death of Jesus at the crucifixion. He was personally present with Mary, the mother of Jesus, when Jesus was ridiculed, mocked, and died. He was also an eyewitness to the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. He then served as one of the pillars of the church and a very powerful witness of Christ. John, the apostle, lived a long life. He died in A.D. 98, almost 65 years after the ascension of Jesus Christ. He was the only disciple not to die as a martyr. Though not killed for his faith, he experienced persecution and alienation from many or from many for his leadership in the early church. Tradition holds that later in life he was imprisoned on Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation while serving as a slave in the salt mines, only later to be freed and moved to Ephesus in Asia Minor where he died. John had spent the better part of his life healing, preaching, serving, and loving the church as well as the lost, especially his countrymen, the Jews. First, they killed his brother James, then other members of the church in Jerusalem. The Jews' hatred for the way, uh, the term as it was known then for the church, it was known as the way, led them to drive out as many Christians as possible from Jerusalem. As the years went by, the church multiplied greatly. Many heard the gospel and accepted Jesus. God was glorified, yet persecution was always at their heels and sometimes upon their heads. Let me ask you a question. What keeps a man or a woman going in in a world in which they are hated and despised? How does that not lead one to be discouraged, frustrated, angry, or even to despair? How does one continue to serve as a witness to God when the very recipients of the good news would rather imprison, beat, or even kill you rather than listen, repent, and accept the wonderful grace of God and salvation? How does one continue to exist in a world that is more than just hostile to our faith. As John grew older, more and more of his fellow disciples died horrendously. Some by beating, some by swords, 
Even Peter and Paul were eventually killed. And all alone stood John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Over the years, I can believe that the words of Jesus must have been running through his mind when Jesus said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify about it that its works are evil. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. What strong words. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. These words must have echoed as one by one his contemporaries fell to sword, to death, to martyrdom, to persecution. John had counted the cost of denying oneself and following Jesus and found that it was well worth the price of the ridicule, the rejection, and the repercussions from those that hated God the Father and Jesus the Savior of the world. To be like Jesus is to accept and to embrace hatred from those who reject Christ. And that's where we find ourselves as we read 1 Peter in those elect exiles of Asia Minor. We saw that suffering will come in our sanctification, that progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Sanctification means to be set apart, consecrated for a special purpose. Just as Israel was a nation set apart from other nations that they may see and glorify God, so are we as believers today. We must recognize that we have been called out and chosen by God and dispersed among the world that we may be salt and light to those around us. It is no coincidence or accident that you are here in the city of Orange or Bray or where you may live in Orange County or surrounding areas. It is your ordained place. And there is to be something different about us, about us believers, those of us that have professed Christ as Lord. And one of the ways that God sets us apart and makes us different is how we respond to suffering. Our sanctification comes through suffering. Suffering and fighting sin and dealing with ridicule and enduring persecution. In the last two weeks, we have learned that Peter informed those elect exiles of Asia Minor that believers have a new motivation in life that compels them not to waste their life pursuing sinful passions. And that this new way of living and uh, thinking will, be, will bring ridicule, rejection, and repercussions. However... We must not despair, but be encouraged because we will be rewarded for our sacrifice and suffering and sanctification. 
we ended by echoing the sentiments of one pastor who lamented that I often find myself praying for a change in circumstance when what I need most is to grow in the knowledge of God. In today's passage, Peter writes to encourage the believers to strengthen each other in their journey towards sanctification. The church works together to support each other through prayer, through love, and service. You and I are not left alone to deal with our suffering, but we are given a wonderful, supernatural structure to help us in our Christian journey. So with that, would you read with me 1 Peter chapter 4, 7 through 11? Would you read silently as I read out loud? The end of all things is at hand, Peter writes. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And Brandon, I want to ask, would you go to my office real quick and bring me my cane? It's right there by my desk. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. And I pray that you'd open up our minds and hearts to receive your word with gladness. Father, let us uh, not be distracted. May we stay in here and may you hold all things that we can hear all what you have to say. And may we respond um, with your word. May your spirit have free reign. Lord, let me speak with words that are edifying and building up. Give us wisdom to know the discernment between your truth and just my mere opinions. And Lord, may you be glorified in all that we do. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So as we go on here, we want to continue what Peter has been saying. Peter begins by reminding them that the end of all things is at at hand. That the end of all things is at hand, referring to the judgment. Thank you. I appreciate that. Referring to the judgment and the condemnation of the wicked, those that have rejected Christ, while those that have embraced the cross of Christ by enduring salvation will be vindicated and exalted. There is an end times when God will bring all things into account. The ministry, the ministry, the death and the resurrection of Jesus inaugurated what the scripture calls the last days. You and I are living them. They've been 2,000 plus years long. We do not know how long they will be, but it has been inaugurated. In the New Testament, the end of history, the end of the age, the end of all times is considered imminent, meaning that there's nothing else that is expected to happen. It could happen at any moment. With that in mind, believers are to live in a godly manner, waiting for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the hope we have. That is the mandate for how we live today. Peter echoes the words of Paul, who had wrote, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called to the church of Ephesus. To the church of Colossae, Paul wrote, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God to the church, uh, knowledge of God. I believe one of the most important truths that we as Christians neglect 
is that Christ is returning to judge the living and the dead. One of Jesus' teaching is that of preparation. We are to prepare ourselves for the consummation of all things. When Christ brings all things to an end and restores all of creation to its renewed state. This is a wonderful truth, however, that comes through judgment. Now for us as believers, we are to be prepared and understand what the end of all things is at hand means for you and I. The end of the age is not meant to cause us to shrink in fear. It's not meant for us to retreat from society and responsibilities as temporary citizens of earth. Nor are we to react negatively towards unbelievers with condemnation and judgment. That's the purview of God. We're not to be those who are walking around with signs saying the end is at hand, repent. Or to walk around condemning people or, or building bomb shelters and, and places on mountaintops so we're a little bit closer to the rapture. He hasn't called us to that. No, the end of the age is meant to cause the Christian to love God with all of our hearts and all of our mind and our strength. It's to love our neighbor as ourselves by seeking their welfare as much as we seek our own. And we do this by fulfilling the great commission with the heart of the great commandment, which leads us to actively engage the world through godly living. Hence what we saw the last two weeks where he says, put away those passions. The, the time is suffice for how you used to live in your former ignorance. Yes, scripture does tell us that our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord. And we're to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Remembering that no soldier gets entangled in, in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. But it also tells us that we are to be good stewards of God and to live as salt and light in a world that is perishing. That includes even the mundane things of everyday living. I chuckle when I looked at this quote Martin Luther was once asked, what would he do if the end would come today? Martin Luther replied that he would plant a tree and pay his taxes. What he meant was that he lived every day in the light of the end. And he would do the appointed task of the day. For Christ may come today. The end of the day may happen before I finish this, me this message. Before you finish whatever you do tomorrow. But we're to get up and do whatever the appointed task of that day is. And do it for the glory of God. This is what Peter means to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Yes, the days of end is coming, but that doesn't lead us to fear and despair. But of hope and rejoicing. We are not to be unhinged. Dr. John MacArthur, if you look at on the screen on the monitor, I love his quote here. <coughs> he writes, To be self-contained or self-controlled and sober-minded implies here not to be swept away by emotions or passions, thus maintaining a proper eternal perspective on life. The doctrine of the imminent return of Christ should not turn the Christian to a zealous fanatic who does nothing but wait for it to occur. Instead, it should lead believers into a watchful pursuit of holiness. 
Peter is instructing his original audience and us as well that self-control and being sober-minded is necessary for proper and effective prayer. He says, do this for the sake of your prayers. Why? Because to be in a sense of holiness, to be in a sense of salt and light to the world, to, to look for that, that blessed hope and glorious appearing means that we must be in a constant state of prayer, of communication and conversations with God. Our minds and our hearts need to be clear-headed, not cavalier. And I, and I have to admit, there are many times I'm not clear-headed or I approach my prayers very cavalier. You know, just say a few words. You know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to... You know, we just kind of pray. Lord, thank this for his food. Amen. We need to understand what and how and for who we are praying. So Peter is saying, listen, the end is near. These days are waning by. Waning by, wanting by, you get the idea. He says you need to be sober-minded and self-controlled, living godly lives as salt and light to the world. Paul writes to be constant in prayer, to continue steadfastly in prayer, to be watchful in it with thanksgiving. He writes to the church of Philippi. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. James 5.16 instructs us to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So we as Christians, we need to understand that worship comes through prayer. Worship meaning living for the Lord, accomplishing his purposes, being good stewards of what he's given us. Each day, the end of the age is closer than it was the day before. Prayer is needed more as you and I yield to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives to conform us to the image of God, that's sanctification. Let us not be slack, cavalier, or forgetful for our need of prayer. Let us be sober-minded, self-control, recognizing, remembering that the end of the age is near. In verse 8, Peter points to the importance of loving one another earnestly. Please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, we've looked at parts of this verse over the last few weeks. In Hebrews chapter 10, because we're near to the end, the Bible tells us that we're to provoke each other to love. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, the writer of Hebrews instructs believers, Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. He's now speaking of prayer and being able to come before God by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh, speaking of the crucifixion. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Verse 24. 
And let us consider how to stir one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet, and, uh, meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as what? As you see the day drawing near. What's the day? The day of judgment. The day when it's over. The excuses are over. And we face a righteous king who judges with justice. Peter writes that we're to love one another earnestly. Above all, love one another earnestly. Emphasizing that love is important in the body of Christ. We must recognize this. In particular, Peter is referring to loving other Christians that we are in covenant community with. Give you the illustration if you were to think of your last days, and I, I don't mean to bring sadness to anyone's heart, but you may recall a time when someone in your life that was dear to you, maybe it was a loved one or it was a friend, a family member, who was near the end of their life. Or maybe they were just taking a journey that you wouldn't see them for a long time. And whatever time that you had left with them, you would not spend that time arguing or rehashing old arguments or just taking notes and say, you need to apologize for this or that. You wouldn't be thinking about the bad times as much as you would be thinking about all the good times. You would be reiterating and remembering all the things that you enjoy. You would be showing them love. In the same way, he's saying, listen, the days are near. We should not be looking for ways to nitpick. But it's so unfortunate that you and I know with any history of the church that it seems like sometimes the church is the last place that's loving. You find its members angry with each other avoiding each other. But he says, above all, above all things, as the time is near, love earnestly, love genuinely. The Apostle Paul instructed the church of Rome to let your love be genuine. Love is central in the Christian life. Jesus warns that at the end, speaking again of the last days, that lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will grow cold. Paul writes about the centrality of love in human relationships in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he explains what love does and what love is. Jesus taught that all the commandments of God are found in loving God and others. Jesus also instructed his disciples at the Last Supper. He says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Not only this, but this was to be the marker of a true disciple when he says, by all this, people will know that you are my disciple if you have what? Love for one another. This should be a hallmark of our church. Later, the apostle John would warn that believers or believers that whoever hates his brother is not of God, but he that loves his brother is of God because God is love. It may be said of each and every one of us that we see that love is central, that they see it, that it overflows with love. To love earnestly means more than just, oh, uh, yeah, they shake hands. No, it's something that they go overboard. It's something that cannot be misconstrued. Paul instructs them that love covers a multitude of sin. Now, that's not speaking about forgiving those who, who, who are sinners. But what he's talking about, that when we generally love others, instead of seeking out offenses or desiring retribution or restitution, we overlook their sins and offenses. It is so uh, 
bewildering me sometimes that Christians, not only in churches, but in the world, were so quick to be offended. Man, stay off Facebook, stay off Twitter, stay off social media, because there's no, all that is is people that are just looking for someone to push the stick off their, their, uh, their shoulder. Remember that old commercial? Robert Conrad? Everyone says Robert Conrad who? You know, knock this off my shoulder. We used to say there's an old Western one from Louis L'Amour that uh, this guy, he would fight at the drop of a hat and he'd even drop the hat himself if he wanted to. Why is it that we're like that? We live in a society that is looking to be offended. They want to get angry at someone. But instead, he says, here in the church, those who profess Christ were to overlook the sin and offenses. Let me tell you, instead of keeping a record of wrong, of taking names and kicking whatever, we should love genuinely. We should forgive quickly. We should rebuke gently, yes. But we must restore firmly. Let us love earnestly as we see that day approaching. That is the mark of God's people. Paul writes to the Corinthian church regarding an issue of church discipline that went too far. This man had started to sleep with his stepmother. And Paul says, you, know, you, need to, you shouldn't let this type of sin happen in the church. You need to discipline him. And so they did. And years later, Paul hears of this and he writes this. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him that or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. What he says is you've gone too far. Now what you're doing is more retribution than what it is in bringing him back. He ends by says, I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. As we come this morning, are you reaffirming love for each other? Recognizing that even though we may be different in social, economic political, different types of views, that's when love is very uh, real and true. When it get passes those artificial barriers. In verse 9, Peter then goes to list one way that we're to show love to one another, and that's through hospitality. Now, hospitality is very important to Scripture. It is a display of love as we open up our homes to each other. This was important, especially in the first century church, as most local assemblies met in members' homes. We must remember that there were no church buildings, and typically they would not have been in welcome or invited into the Jewish synagogues. So they had to meet in members' homes. Hospitality was one of the marks of a genuine Christian community. Scripture instructs them on how to accept Christian apostles, evangelists, and missionaries that would travel a circuit in meeting and visiting and, and sharing letters from city to city. And they were in need of lodging and hospitality. Now, unfortunately, hospitality is one of the acts of love and service that seems to fall through the cracks today. I've mentioned, again, our own personal experience of, of California and where we come from in northern Illinois. And where we came from, it wasn't unusual for you to drop by someone's house unnoticed any time of part of the day. And to just sit down either on the porch or go in the house and just have a cup of coffee or to talk or just to visit. 
Uh, for pastors, we would do that all the time without, you know, notices and, and all these types of things, without evites. We would just drop by and see members all the time and visit, see how they're doing. And even people from the church. There was a time when people would actually write down their names and addresses and say, yeah, come and visit me. But I remember when we moved to California, all of a sudden we realized, well, wait a second, who's our neighbors? Oh, wait. Well, everyone has fences. It's just, just a normal thing here. I'm not criticizing. It's just a normal thing where everyone has fences. Now, we had fences back there, but they were all chain link. So they, really didn't, they didn't really protect anything. They, they more protected than any privacy. There was no privacy, so to speak. So it was uncommon. When they're doing a barbecue, you just talk across the fence or whatnot as kids we'd play. But here, everything's kind of brick fence. You couldn't see. We never saw our neighbors. That is before we moved here in Orange. It's different now. You would just drive into your garage, get in your garage, and go into your house. And then you get in your garage, get in your car, and leave. I'll never forget one time we were in there. We moved it. We moved the same time. We moved around in August, I believe, of that year, 2001. And we're in our neighborhood. And school hasn't started yet. And we're looking, and there's nobody, no kids for our, for our kids to play. No neighborhood kids. And we're like, we, we must just live in a geriatric type of neighborhood. And then all of a sudden, the first day of school, we go to take our kids to school, and all of a sudden, I could barely get out of our neighborhood because here's all these kids. I'm like, where in the world did they come from? Well, they had been hiding all that time in their backyards or in their homes doing whatever kids do. And it was like, it was amazing. And I don't think in that neighborhood, we lived there three and a half years, four years, I think we maybe met two of them. Well, we met three. The other one didn't care for us. So, uh, so, so I think that's about all we really met was about two neighbors or so. But it just seems to be a different type of world today. Today, you would not just drop by someone's house, typically. You'd make an appointment, things of that nature. It seems like hospitality has kind of just gone a little bit. world is different. More, we're more prone or likely to meet others in neutral locations, like coffee shops or restaurants, than in our homes. Yet meeting in our homes is important. Opening up your homes, exposing your lives and living conditions, and sharing a meal can be scary and nerve-wracking and hard work, yet Scripture commands us to do so. Listen what Scripture says. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Paul writes to the Roman church. He instructs Timothy that an overseer must be above approach, but he says he must be hospitable. And a widow, she is to be uh, 60 years of age and so on and so forth. But it says she must have shown hospitality. The writer of Hebrew warns us, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You and I must recognize that this act of love can be overwhelming, can be tiring and difficult at times. Hospitality, opening up your homes, is very difficult. But Peter commands them to show hospitality without grumbling. You know, I'm so thankful that you guys, when we come here, are warm and encouraging and loving. Uh, sometimes I have to beat you down to get you to sit back down after our welcoming. And there's some of you that get together. But I'm going to give you a hard word. Our hospitality and our love should not start, begin, and end with the service. It should be happening during the week without a church program. My desire is that we as a church would see each and every one of you making the rounds, so to speak, 
having a meal, opening your home up to someone that you normally wouldn't see and, 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 and do things with. You already have your natural clicks, right? That, that's natural. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing sinful about that. But when was the last time you were walking out the door and say, hey, would you like to come over for coffee or come over for pie, play a game, or would you like to just come over to our house? Someone that you don't know. Someone that wouldn't maybe not be a natural fit. Then I don't tell them, hey, now you naturally are not somebody I would like to hang with, but I got to do it, so would you like to do it? Well, what type of church would it be if we're loving and caring for each other during the week? And it's an outflow of the church. That's the mark of a genuine Christian. May God impress upon our hearts the need to open up our homes that we may demonstrate our love for each other and encourage each other in our walk and our faith. One of the things, just a warning, in our last elders meeting, I share with them one of our goals is after VBS, we're going to be setting up a time where we're going to be asking as elders, we're going to be splitting up and, and, and inviting ourselves over. Uh, we're going to do it in such a way that will be uh, uh, give you your privacy and, and allow you to choose the time, but we're going to want to get into your homes and see and pray with you and love you. So just as a warning, begin praying now. How will I respond to that? Verse 10, Peter instructs the exile, elect exiles to show love and using their gifts to serve each other. Look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. God knew that we would be living in a world that is hostile to our faith. He knew the suffering each and every one of us will experience. He knew that we would need a place of refuge, a place of comfort, a safe place among safe people to be encouraged, loved, and strengthened. That place is the local church. It is the local church where the Christian is known and loved. It is a place to belong and a place to become. Love is more than just emotion that we have for each other. It has a practical side. Love is to be demonstrated through the spiritual or what we would call the grace gifts that God has given his children. Let me give you several facts about spiritual gifts. First, each believer has been given a gift at salvation, at conversion. If you've professed Christ, if you repented of your sin, if you turn towards Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift. And that gift is not for the benefit of you of the individual. It is not for your use. This gift is to be used for the edifying of the local body of Christ. And the end purpose of that gift is to glorify God. Someone here today needed your gift. And I want to encourage you, we need to be using those gifts. If you do not know what your gift is, could you see uh, Land and Dustin, um, Randy or I, or uh, I think I got all four of us, let us, we'd love to meet with you and share with you how you can know what your spiritual gift is and how you can begin using that spiritual gift. In verse 11, Peter breaks the gifts into two categories, speaking and serving. On the monitors, you'll see I've broken that up a little bit for you. Some speaking gifts include apostleships and prophecy, teaching and tongues and interpretation of tongues as well as exhortation. This is not a full list. This is just a culmination of the list found in scripture. The serving gifts, the, so speaking gifts typically are in pastoring and teaching. The serving gifts were like giving, leading, mercy, helps, 
miracles, and healings. Now, we don't believe all those gifts are available to us today, but the speaking and the serving gifts are still there. And God has given all that we need as a church to build up and to glorify God and to encourage one another. Peter goes on to say, if you have a speaking gift, you are required to speak the oracles of God. And this is so important. This refers to the word of God. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's important for us to understand what we've been called to do. We are not called to give motivational speeches based on human strength or worldly platitudes. Our pastors and our biblical counselors are not to become human hallmark cards. Unfortunately, that's what we've made the Bible about. We've made teaching and preaching and counseling about just trying to make you feel good. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at with me in verse 17. Paul writes of himself, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach what? The gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the, Christ, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of Christ is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the sermon of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made the foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it has pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Yet time and time again you hear people want to speak from their own wisdom with words that are not of God. Go on in verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ what? Whoa. I preach, he says, something that is scandalous. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly or foolishness or silliness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and the Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So I would share with you, God has given some of you speaking gifts to either preach, to teach, or to give biblical counseling. If that is the case, then speak the words of Christ that are found in God's word. If not, there's nothing else to say. It's just your wisdom. It's just your opinion. Then he goes on to say, not only those who speak have a place in the church, but also those who serve. For he says, one who serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. He instructs them that their serving gifts are not to be used as precious gifts from God, while also, or are, are, to be, are, are to be used excuse me, as precious gifts from God, while also understanding that it is God who gives us strength to serve lovingly. In other words, God has given some of you the gift to give and to give above your means. He's given some of you the gift of helps. Many of you have done that through VBS by giving of yourselves to come and help during the week. Whether it's the gift of serving in help, serving in mercy, of encouragement, those are the things that God has called you to do. We must never be full of pride in our serving. We must remember that our choosing and calling found, if you're still there in 1 Corinthians, let's follow along in verse 26. 
For Paul goes, so for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. So God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. This reminds us at the end of the age, you are to serve, whether it's in speaking or whether it's giving or whether you have multiple gifts. Give from the word of God and give as one who has been strength, given strength by God. Why? That we may edify each other, build one another up and glorify God. It is this spirit that God is glorified through the work of Jesus in our lives. The more you and I choose to love God and others and choose not to sin, we become more like Christ. And I pray that's more today than it was uh, six months ago, more than three months ago. It is important that we here at OVBC discover and begin using our gifts. Someone here is in need of your gift. Peter ends with a doxology. It's a song of praise. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a great way to end a letter, or at least this part of his letter. Let us never forget that our election, our calling, our justification, our adoption, our sanctification, our glorification is meant to glorify God. Now let me bring it together here. From this message, you and I should remember that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That we may proclaim the excellencies of God who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are salt and light leading godly lives in the end of this age so that others may see God and glorify him. This calling includes suffering, ridicule, rejection, and repercussions from a world that is hostile to our faith and hates God. Let us never forget that. I know those are strong words, but in the end, that's the human condition of every soul born into this world. Despite that, like John the Apostle, like Peter, we are to embrace the cross of Christ, reject the passions and desires of the world, and endure suffering with joy knowing that we will grow weary and that we are fragile. God has raised up the church so that we may be encouraged, strengthened, and loved. Do not neglect this great gift of God. Worship God through praying, loving, and serving among God's children, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me close with these words. It's on the, minute, it's on the monitor from John that he wrote in the last days in Revelation. When he says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he, speaking of Jesus, is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. But even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God 
who was or who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Until that day, let us worship him through our prayers, through our loving, and through our serving of each other. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as the worship team comes, I'd ask for you to take a moment to, cons- to pause, to consider and pray how you may respond to the Holy Spirit. Maybe he's calling you to a stronger desire to pray, to be self-controlled and be sober-minded. Maybe he's calling you to love earnestly, to show that love through hospitality, through opening up your homes. Or maybe he's just calling you to serve with a love that is genuine, seeking to serve and to love others. If so, would you give that to him this morning? Would you say, Lord, whatever it is that you want me to do, let me respond. And would you give praise to him for he is above all and it's for him that we live. Father, we pray that we would respond this week. Let this message not depart from our minds and hearts, but I pray that you would lay it heavily on us as we wrestle with our lives and with your word. May we never brush it off and say, okay, good word, that was uh, encouraging, and then walk away. For Lord, let us wrestle and struggle with its truths as we compare our lives and our hearts with your truth. And may we see what type of manner of man and woman we are. And may it cause us to please to seek or to seek to please you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.